Welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist, the podcast where we meet the people of Canterbury Baptist Church in Melbourne, Australia, hear their stories and explore ideas relevant to our church and community. My name is Stephen, and for today's episode, let's meet Peter. Hello, Pete. Welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist Podcast. Good to have you on board. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's good to be here. Now, let me start with a question that I'm famous for starting with, which is, where were you born? Oh, I was born in Invercargill, New Zealand. So you're a Kiwi? Yep. Not that we couldn't half tell by your accent, but uh, but I'll, <laughs> I'll act surprised regardless. So Invercargill, just paint a picture. Where, whereabouts in New Zealand is that? So Invercargill is on the southern end, almost on the southern tip of the South Island, so nice and cold in winter. And recently cold in summer. What's your first memory of, uh, of your childhood there? Uh, I, was, I crashed into a rose bush on my trike when I was three-ish. And that's your first memory, crashing into, the, into that rose bush? It is. How would you, how would you describe your childhood, particularly your, your uh, preschool and then your primary school? So let's hold you off from being a high school student yet. Let's keep you in your primary school and pre-primary school years. How, how would, uh, what's your memory of your, of, your experience, of your life growing up in New Zealand? Uh, my childhood was um, quite stressful, to be honest. Um, um, my mum had um, issues, mental health issues, and that was an overprint, a significant overprint on my childhood and my siblings. I have two siblings. Um, so, yeah, childhood was... Uh, an up and down experience um, through to yeah end of end of primary. How did you experience that in your own life as a child? Ah, uh, it was a. Uh, I learnt to sort of I guess roll with the uh, ups and downs of it. So mum's um, her condition meant that things just weren't stable, settled, and there was a a lack of um, stability really. Um, so the whole for the whole family, not just uh, my mum or me. Um, so yeah, things were very up and down in a you know pretty significant way at times. And uh, so I guess you know even as a child, I learnt to sort of deal with those ups and downs. Um, so, yeah. Well, was was your father at home? Yes, he was. Yes. Um, how was your father? How was your experience of your father as a parent? Yeah, well, dad, dad was one of those uh, wonderful people that. Um, Basically, um, was a, a very affable personality, and and just fixed stuff, and did the best for people, and saw the best in people. Um, and so he, you know, for a lot of the time, he was just doing what he had to do to sort of get us through. Uh, you know, when when things were a bit tricky. So, did home feel safe to you, or did it feel confusing to you as a child? Did you have, did you have any sort of sense of how you how you were feeling within your own home home space? Yeah, I've always felt safe in a physical way, but the stresses and strains and the ups and downs meant that in a psychological way it was, I wouldn't describe it as unsafe, but it, was, it wasn't restful. That's, 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 that's true. Um, and so as you started school, you, you entered primary school. Did you enjoy school? Um, primary school, early primary school, not so much. For reasons that I don't really understand, I, I struggled academically um, for the early years and then for reasons that I don't understand either, all of a sudden it started to sort of fall into place. So probably from the age of, I don't know, eight or so, things um, 
uh, got easier academically and I was able to do what needed doing at school. So. At, at, and so from age eight, can you identify um, a particular subject that you maybe began to click me? Like did, did you begin to form a particular attachment to or affection for an area of education that you began to put more energy into? Not really, not really. It just sort of seemed like what was hard before got easier and I have no explanation for that. It just happened. <laughs> um, your church life, um, were you raised in a church attending or even a, a Christian family? I was, I was. So um, our family attended the local um, Presbyterian church. It was very local. We could walk to church very easily. Um, yeah, so I have early memories of going to the Presbyterian church and as, um, yeah, and that was that was okay. Um, but I, I don't honestly have fond memories of, of those attendances as a kid. It seemed very um, sort of rigid and, yeah. So that, that they're my early memories, at least, of um, of church. So, did you find that church was a place you began to resist going to, or was it a place you put up with? Like, what was your relationship in your primary school years with you going to church? Was it obligation? Like, what was that relationship? No, I wasn't resistive. Um, myself and my siblings went along generally with with our parents. Um, so no, it was you know like I didn't sort of skip out of bed uh, wanting to dance down to church <laughs> on a Sunday morning necessarily, but I but I went and uh, and I wasn't you know, I wasn't like I was fighting to stay home or anything like that. As you reflect back on now, do you do you think you experienced much of what it might be to mean to have a faith in Jesus in those years, or was it more a tradition of attending a church service as part of a, a wider community activity? No, I think I, I mean, I think I learnt the fundamentals of Christian faith um, at church. Um, so I went to Sunday school, got taught the usual things in the usual way, and you know, so at least in my head, I understood what it meant um, to be a Christian, and you know, about Jesus's life and work, and Old Testament, New Testament, all that sort of stuff. I had a, um, I definitely had a, a solid grounding in that, at least in a in a head sense, in an intellectual way. So you, you finished primary school. Uh, up to this point, have you been living in the same location? Yes. So entering high school, you're still staying in the same location? Correct. Okay. So it's one primary school, now going to, I'm assuming, a local high school? Correct. Um, what's, your, what's your memories of your impression of your high school years? Did you enjoy high school? I did. I did. Um, I enjoyed my high school years more than the primary years for various reasons, I think, um, probably because I felt like I had more sort of control, I had more things that I could do. I was <clears throat> quite sporty, so I enjoyed all sorts of different sports and, and played those. Um, the school that I went to was um, a bit rough, um, which, you know, in hindsight was probably a good thing in some ways, um, you know, but I learned how to sort of avoid getting into trouble and, you know, not to get in the way of the guys that, <laughs> you know, might, uh, you know, might uh, physically do something to you because there was a bit of that going around. But, uh, yeah, so I, there were lots of uh, formative life lessons at high school and, um, you know, I, I enjoyed um, high school. I I was reasonably good academically. I did pretty well. I was particularly uh, fond of uh, language. So the language that uh, we had that was only one that we had the option to do, I think, was um, French, and I found that I was quite good at French, and so I latched on to that. And, um, 
you know, did French competitions and such like. And, uh, yeah, so high school was, was a good thing. Did you develop your language skills in any, in any particular way outside of school? Did you have other experiences that help you to, 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 to sort of develop your language? Um, when I was 15, I had the opportunity, because I'd been doing the French language competitions and such like, I had the um, option to go on a study tour to Tahiti. So I basically lived with a Tahitian family for six weeks and you know, the objective was to you know, have a bit of fun but mainly to work on your uh, language skills, which I did. And uh, yeah, that was that was um, that was a good experience. I mean, I was fifteen, and I was a young fifteen, so that was uh, that was a bit interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was a good uh, experience. How's your French now? My French is no good at all now because <laughs> I haven't uh, touched it uh, for many many years. However, it did come in quite handy. Um, we uh, went to live in South America and had to learn Spanish and uh, I found that the language, learning of a prior language and in particular French was helpful for the Spanish. We'll have to get to your Columbia years uh, in just a bit later on in our conversation. Um, in, your, in your high school years, did you begin to get a sense of where you might want your life to go after high school? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I enjoyed science um, in particular. So the sciences were the subjects apart from the language that that I felt most comfortable with. Um, and probably on the back end of my high school, I started thinking about, okay, well, university, what would I do there? It was always, I think, expected that I would go to university and my siblings as well. Um, that was, I think, the expectation. Um, and so it was clearly going to be in the science area. There was a school of mineral technology doing mining engineering and and other similar courses at Otago, which was the nearest university. Um, and so that was that sort of uh, was growing in my sort of brain by the time I got to the point where I, um, you know, was heading off to university and working out which subjects to do. Um, so in your high school years, let's talk about faith in your high school years. So you, you sort of flagged that in your primary school years you, you were attending the local Presbyterian church with your parents, uh, but sort of admitting that it wasn't hugely engaging. You were learning many things, but probably at a more emotional level you weren't feeling particularly connected to it. In your high school years, was there sort of a moment of acceptance or rejection or wrestling with faith in a, in a new way as you were growing up? Not actually in the high school years. It happened earlier than that. So my a, a good friend of mine, a um, cricket-playing friend of mine, invited me along to a what was called a Christian youth camp. I was I'm not sure exactly how old I was, seven or eight probably, and I went along to this Christian youth camp and um, and enjoyed it. There was quite a bit of sport. There was um, evening um, talks, um, discussions, and one particular evening um, there was a woman talking about uh, Matthew chapter 7, the narrow road and the broad road, and and by that stage with my understanding and the prompting from, from that talk, I decided that I wanted to be on the narrow road. So, uh, so Jesus um, became part of my life at that point. So and that continued, and and I was quite I was quite a rule keeping young man, I think, <laughs> and so I liked to uh, sort of keep the rules as I understood them, and that sort of saw me through as I grew into my mid teens. But um, I basically found a, a reason or reasons to 
um, sort of leave my faith behind in those at about that time. I think I was about 15, maybe 16. So there was effectively a conversion sort of moment when you were eight or nine. Correct. In this youth camp. Did that change the way that you then interacted with the Presbyterian church that you continued to attend? Yes, it did. Um, I was much more active, but I was um, active in a sense not just at my local church, which was, you know, seemed to me at least, there was more, it was more about the old people, older people. Um, and so I became involved in um, activities that were going on in other churches um, as well. Not that I disengaged from, from my um, home church, but I was doing more things elsewhere. Did you find your home church, the services in your home church to be less, I'm not sure what word to use, less boring, less less hard to get through once you had a greater sense of your own faith? Or did you, or was there still a sense of it, it, you were attending there because it was somewhat of an obligation to your family and to just to what the family did? Well, I, I think I probably um, thought of it as normal in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so it had been normalised in my life and I just accepted it for what it was. But I could also see, and I was also experiencing the fact that there were other slightly or significantly different ways of doing church and doing faith, which I was also um, involved in. So that that worked, I think, for me. And yet, still, in what about age fifteen, you you said that you began, you pretty much what drifted away from church at that point. Well, it was more than a. It was a bit more abrupt than that. It was more of a okay, well, and I and I, I don't really understand. How it happened, but for whatever reason or reasons, I I decided that I'd found some reasons that it just wasn't working anymore. And and you said that was pretty abrupt. So it was you, you coming up to the moment. It wasn't like you were seeing it coming. There just sort of came a moment for you where you, as a fifteen year old, you began to go, "I don't get it. it. It's not it's not connecting to me. It's 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 not working for me anymore." And you just sort of cut the cord pretty quickly at that point. Yeah, it was more of an intellectual thing. It was actually um, there were I'd been going to Bible studies and I had questions around some questions and, and I didn't feel that they were being sort of at least I wasn't understanding the answers and, and then there was some confusion um, in that process and it's like, oh, no, this is all too hard. Is, is it okay if I probe for a minute as a 15-year-old, what were those questions that, that you were looking for the church to answer but you just weren't finding satisfactory responses from? No, well, they weren't particular questions that I had. It was, it was more, the context was more, we're doing this Bible study um, and there were questions. I can't honestly remember the, the detail of the questions but there was confusion in the way that it was being dealt with by the leaders of the study. And it's like, well, hang on, I thought these guys knew everything um, <laughs> and they can't even agree on what the answer to this question is. So, you know, it must be too hard. So, and, you know, maybe that was just me looking for a reason or an excuse. I don't know. But. Um, so um, obviously at some point you re-engage back in the, in the church. Roughly how old were you when you began to re-engage? I was 22 or 23. Right. I was in Mount Isa, Queensland, working by that stage. Excellent. So let's get you up to Mount Isa and then we can actually talk about how, how you began to, to, to re-engage back in, into your church. Um, now as an adult looking back, are you able to reflect on how your mother's mental, <laughs> mental health challenges throughout those years may have affected your your uh, your sense of faith or your sense of connection to church or any of those sort of bigger questions? What sort of impact her struggles may have had on you? Um, I didn't sort of feel like they 
directly connected to my faith. I, to me, it was more of a practical sort of a coping thing. So stuff happened, how do we deal with that? Um, and I don't honestly sort of remember connecting that to God. It wasn't like I blamed God for it or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, there wasn't like there was a logical, significant connection between those things for me. It's good. You finished high school. What's your ambition post high school? What is it that you want to do? Um, I wanted to get a degree <laughs> in what? <laughs> <laughs> well, by that stage, I'd um, so so I went uh, sorted out my subjects for the first year of university: um, sciences, physics, maths, chemistry, and geology, because geology was a prerequisite to mining, which I'd already sort of had my eye on. Um, and I loved geology, so the physics, maths. Chemistry part was that was all fine, um, but the geology really worked for me. I really enjoyed that. The paleontology, the fossils, the tectonic plate movements, all that sort of stuff was new to me. I hadn't really done any of that at high school, um, and yeah, so that was great. So that basically, okay, after about week three of year one, it's like this geology works. I'm off to <laughs> do the mining course, the mineral technology course, and and so it was. So. Four years later, I uh, came out with a, um, a mining engineering degree, and yeah, and had and and, and enjoyed my time. I, I loved my time at university; it was great. You said even going into the course, so that, that that mining was a question mark on the side of your thinking. So somewhere you'd been exposed to the idea of mining. Do you have any memory of where that thought may have popped into your head from? I think it was more that it was available. So the the mining school in New Zealand, which had been there for best part of a hundred years, was it. Dunedin, and so you know that was always assumed um, that I'd go to university there, um, and you know so it was it was an availability thing. It fitted with my sort of science aptitude, I guess. Um, so yeah, so that was it was a very I don't know logical, <laughs> or it seemed like a logical conclusion to draw, and and then it just just happened. So and it was also it was the interest in the potential excitement of doing something that would potentially, you know, allow me to work anywhere in the world. But you know, at that stage I wasn't perhaps thinking that broadly, but, you know, at the very least to, um, you know, live and work in Australia. And then you're uh, discovering this interest in geology as you started your first year of university, just just confirmed that that would be the path that you would, that you would like to walk down. That's right. Um, you said that you really enjoyed your time in university. Can you can you give us a bit of a snapshot of Pete, the university student? What what would what was it about university that you really felt you felt like you connected to or connected with you? Well, I guess the freedom, the sport, the I didn't mind a bit of hard work. So you know, we generally speaking had to study reasonably hard, but on the weekends we'd be playing sport, partying, doing what students do. Um, Dunedin was, and I believe still is, a, a pretty uh, a pretty good town for um, for students, uh, university age students. Um, yeah, very pleasant place to live for four years, and uh, yeah, no, it was there was really nothing that I didn't like about it. It was a great it was a great period of my life. Um, you finished the course. How quickly? So from the university. Did you then go straight into the mining industry or was there a bit of a road to get there? No, no, it was a straight in. So 
as happens in the mining industry, it's either very, very good or it's very, very bad. At that particular time, in terms of the demand for mining professionals, um, there was a very strong demand. So um, mining companies from Australia in particular were coming and hunting for graduates. And so I had a job lined up before I even finished my degree, as did almost all of my um, colleagues. So what was your first job? So I was employed by Manizer Mines, a very uh, large, um, by Australian standards, uh, mining company operating in Mount Isa in Queensland, a large underground mine, a very well thought of and um, respected mining company in terms of well, most elements, but from a mining engineer's point of view in terms of the techniques and the scale and the technologies that uh, were being employed and the I guess, the, uh, the rigour and the way that uh, things were done. So how did you feel about having to move from what had been a very stable life, hardly any moving at all for you, for what, you're what, about 22 years old now? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're being shipped off, shipped off not to, just to Australia but to Mount Isa of all places, kind of, if I can say, in the middle of nowhere. Um, how did you feel about that? Oh, very excited. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, – that was an exciting thing to do. Um, yeah, I mean – in terms of differences, it's uh, extremely different to Invercargill and Dunedin to go to Mount Isa. I had no idea how, how things could possibly be that hot, but I found out pretty quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as many listeners would realise, Mount Isa is in North Queensland and uh, for a lot of the year, well, for several months of the year, the temperatures are consistently above 40 degrees and, um, yeah, and they're even hotter underground. So uh, It's hotter underground? It's hotter underground, yeah. I, I had it in my head that, uh, that you know, people dig underground to get cooler in hot climates, but uh, is, is there a certain point where you just get – you go down deep enough and you just get hotter? Yeah, well, there's a temperature gradient in the rocks and um, if, if you're pulling reasonably warm air underground in a place like Mount Isa, the rocks are actually warm and if you don't do anything else – um, you basically um, you heat up the air further, which in Mount Isa was quite a deep mine and at about the time that I was there, refrigeration was being looked at. We didn't have refrigeration at that time, but the, the next um, area that was being mined was uh, deeper still and there was refrigeration uh, put into that. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty hot and we had um, uh, testing and so on that, basically um, stopped work when things got uh, above a certain temperature and a certain humidity because uh, people you know, wouldn't last very long in those conditions. So. Pete, really appreciate this chance to catch up with you. How about we leave you deep in a mine boiling under hot temperatures <laughs> there in the middle of Mount Isa? Um, and how, how about we, we pick up your story in our next chat because I still think we've got, uh, we've got a few more adventures yet to cover. So really appreciate your time, time spent with us today. Thanks, David. And thank you to everyone who is tuned in to listen. This podcast is produced and presented by Stephen Field on behalf of Canterbury Baptist Church, Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email cbc at canterburybaptist.org. If you're a member or regular attender of this church, how about you get in touch with Peter directly and thank him for his contribution today. The music is a song, The First Step, by Andrew Naylor from his album, Two Stones. This album is available wherever you purchase or stream your music. Join us next time as we continue our chats with the people of Canterbury Baptist.